<clears throat> so can you hear me loud and clear? Yep. Yep, I can hear you really loud and clear. So happy new year. It's 2022. So let's get down to kicking more butt again. It's 2022. Yep. More butt kicking time. Uh, well, of course. <laughs> Anyhow, to uh, kick off, I got a little story. You know, Guillermo Ariaga? Uh, that's the uh, Mexican fella, isn't it? Yeah, the director and the writer. I mean, he's got he's got some pretty good movies. And uh, recently, I had a two week vacation, and I read one of his uh, fiction books, The Untamable. And it's quite a it's quite a genius story because what Ariaga does, what he's famous for, is a hyperlink multi narrative cinema. But that also translates into his fiction. Basically, you have several protagonists who are unrelated to each other. And at the end of the story, one element links them together and brings them together. And that's where Ariaga delivers his uh, shocking punch to the reader. It's, uh, it's quite hyper-addictive, uh, actually, his uh, stories, because of the way he just uh, maneuvers around all these uh, seeming uh, obstacles to finally bring the reader to such a stunning conclusion that you just left breathless. You're like, well, I didn't know that. <laughs> it's actually one of those... Uh, you know, narratives, he fashions a narrative which engages you to the point that you're actually involved in the story. So, you know, you lose yourself in the narration. You should try it. It's quite addictive. I already have got quite a few addictions, so I'm not looking for a new one. But I'll read it. <laughs> Reading is one of them that I already have. So, yeah. Yeah, so what happened on Twitter was that uh, I made a little list. I was checking out Twitter from the team just to see what we could do better this year. And uh, I actually made this little list of the you know best fiction offers. And I put Ariaga at the top. And then suddenly he actually replies back and he's like, oh, thank you, Renee and Seek, for uh, mentioning me. And thank you for reading my works. That was quite full noxed. I was fangilling. <laughs> well, he found out about you, fair enough. Yeah, maybe he's listening to us, so who knows? We might get a base in Mexico now, seeing that uh, the American market is already, you know, listening to us. We have listeners in America and Canada, so who knows? We might actually penetrate Mexico. Anyhow, <clears throat> also in the holidays I had, the two weeks, I read several comprehensive biographies of great leaders. Uh, for one, I read Stanley McChrystal's My uh, Share of the Task, which is his autobiography. Credit to the man that he doesn't say, I told you so, that Obama was a dick. But today, when we see what's become of Afghanistan, we sort of comprehend that, you know, McChrystal had a point and Obama acted like a dick in sacking him. And the current uh, Biden narrative, now this is another book which I'm reading at the moment, All In, by General David Petraeus. And if you remember, this is the book which ended Petraeus's career because... Paula Broadwell, the author of this book, she fell in love with him and they had a fear. How unexpected. And that affair apparently went public. What happened is that uh, in Tampa, Florida, where uh, Petraeus was based after he got the CIA job, uh, they had two twin sisters from Lisbon and uh, they were both attorneys, I believe. I can't remember the particulars, but... Uh, one of them tried sort of uh, stealing uh, Broadville's man, who was Petraeus, and she sent a very heated email to her, and they entered into this correspondence. So the attorney decided to leak the email, and the rest is history. But we haven't heard the last of Petraeus. He's, he's quite a stunning leader, quite a magnificent leader, although I was left with the impression that some of the narrative might be galvanized by the fact that at the time, Broadville was pretty much in his laps. But, oh well, mistakes happen. And the other few books I read, uh, the most fabulous one I read was on uh, Lord Nelson, the naval commander. Mm -hmm. Then there was one on Grant. There was one on Baba Bandasing. See, one of the most intriguing things I find about the current Sikh community, current Sikh academia today is that 
we churn out such disappointing books like, you know, Gurinder Singh Man of the UK, he wrote this book, The British and the Sikhs. He's pretty much regurgitated information already in the public domain. And the start of this book is quite ludicrous. He focuses on, you know, this, uh, well, what's been, what we can call an unproven element at this stage of a British surgeon treating Guru Gobind Singh Ji at Nandir, and the surgeon's name apparently was Dr. Cole. Now, Man builds up a thesis that uh, was Cole, you know, Manuki or Manushi, as most people call him. And then he sort of ends with this uh, little gesture that, uh, well, wait a second, I don't know, you don't know. And at the end of those few pages where he discusses who Dr. Cole might have been, he just starts thinking, well, what's the point? What's the point of all this? He brings in this very uh, archaic and enigmatic text by someone named Tian Singh Das Nepachakantam Kothak, provides no chronology as to who Tian Singh was, when this text was written, nothing. And then he cites Sukha Singh's uh, Gurbilas Patshai, thus we written in 1797 to say, well, you know, Kaul is mentioned in there. So you have one text out of a whole genre of Gurbilas mentioning Kaul. You don't provide any uh, analysis of who Tian Singh was or, you know, whether he wrote Kaul after reading it in Sukha Singh's Gurbilas or Sukha Singh read it in his Dasme Pachukantam Kotak. And then, you know, the most classic and favorite one is that this is also the oral tradition at Nandir. Well, how did this oral tradition begin? Have you analyzed this oral tradition? And you walk away with the impression that really there's nothing new in that book, that more or less it's just stultified academia trying to make itself relevant again. And you find this across the whole spectrum of Sikh intellectuals. I mean, if you read Ron Cherno's book on Grant, you see this comprehensive biography of the man who finally won the Civil War. And you pick, a, pick up a book on a Sikh leader. Well, you only have a handful, Baba Banda Singh. They have published his books to death, Baba Jasa Singh. They've done the same with him. Ultimately, all these books are like the Punjabi film industry. You know, first they had Char Sahib Jade, then we had 10 more cheap knockoffs of Char Sahib Jade. And there's no space for anything new. It seems there are people just don't want to innovate and go outside and find new historic sources. No, they're just going to keep on milking the old cows they have. Well, for them, commercially, it, make, it makes sense. It makes sense. And I mean, the other thing is, you know, have you heard the saying, the best leaders are the best readers? Mm, can't say I have. Well, one of the fundamental things we are taught in leadership school, particularly in military schools, is that you need to have a passion for reading. And if you look oh, yeah, at Stern... Yep. If you look at Stanley McChrystal's My Share of the Task, he's constantly referencing Nelson and, you know, citing examples of how he used Nelson's strategies to ultimately, you know, gear up for his own war in Afghanistan and Iraq. Now, let's just imagine a Sikh leader in those circumstances. Sikhs have a glorious history, we agree, but how is that glorious history retold? Uh, well, it's 2022, so I don't want to be sh shooting soon enough. <laughs> At the grassroots level, our institutions are not making leaders because the fundamental structure of these institutions this allows any critical thinking about what leadership should be in the first place. So, yeah, uh, dissent is strongly oppressed, uh, let's say, well, oppressed is something, yeah. And uh, if you dare to step out of the line, if you dare to think out of the box, you'll be ostracized. You will be ostracized. We have produced two generations of followers but not a single leader who could have succeeded our glorious leaders in the past and led the Panth to victory today. How many, let's say, good leaders can we say we've had since the British arrived on our swords? English. Well, from the top of my head, what I can say is that we have had by Maharaj Singh, we have had Professor Gurmukh Singh, Ganita Singh, but yeah, I, I understand what you mean. They all seem to have been ephemeral, really, because the foundations they established, the groundwork they left us, 
there were never any successive generations who were able to utilize that groundwork or those foundations. Now, if you remember what Sardar Dapinder Singh told us in the Noab Kapoor Singh episode, that Noab Kapoor Singh established such a strong political, social, religious, and community-oriented structure, infrastructure for Sikhs. I mean, it's a shame that people haven't analyzed it. And ultimately, his own successors like Baba Jassa Singhaluwalia and co, they did not have the vision to keep it going. And ultimately, that also reflects on the community. As I told you about Terry Pratchett last time, if a people, <laughs> if there are people who can't produce a leader, a community is struggling to find leaders, rather than relying on the past, that community needs to self-introspect because leaders arise from the community. And if the leaders are corrupt, then what does it speak about that community? Well, barren souls don't give you a fertile crop, a bountiful harvest. No, no not possible. Exactly. So basically, regarding all that, what happened is that, you know, as we discussed, we have these 54 laws of Sikh, of Khalsa leadership, which we have taken from Sikh history. And, you know, the history of leadership in other uh, communities and societies universally. Now, this list isn't exhaustive, that these are the 54 laws you have to live by if you want to be a Sikh leader, but rather they should be treated as foundations for, you know, increasing Sikh leadership further. But first of all, we need a dynamic institutional change, a radical alteration in how we see the world so we can start producing effective leaders, which we used to have in the past. Mm. So, rule number one, do not blame Wahigru. Oh, man. <laughs> You're already throwing grenades at me now. Okay, okay, hear me out on this one. Hear me out on this one. You know, in Japji Sahib, we read, You know, depending on your own actions, you come near or far from the truth, right? And we say the truth is divine. So you have a multitude of verses in the Guru Granth Sahib, which, you know, cite the same thing ultimately that you have a form of free will and in your interaction with hukam using that free will you obviously acquire the fruits of your actions so it doesn't really make sense at the end of the day to blame Vaheguru for everything i mean if you look at guru gobind singh ji if you look at guru arjan dev ji if you look at guru har gobind sahib you look at all the gurus and then baba banda singh even when he was betrayed by the sikhs they never blamed Wahigru for anything because really, imagine Baba Banda Singh at the end. He would have just said, oh, well, look, I set out to beat the Mughals and the Hindus. I knew what the consequences would be. They would ultimately result in my death. Yeah, some of my own guys betrayed me. Well, how can I blame Wahigru for this? Can't you say that uh, even if you fail or if, if I if my own mistakes drown me, can I just say Wahigru the Pana and just, you know, just be gone? I'm biting my tongue here. I'm really biting my tongue because I was just about to say something which would have gotten us both shot. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. You just thrown a grenade at me. That too unpinned. Well, see, the situation as it stands is that fatalism that this is Vaheguru's Pana. Vaheguru's Pana is that if you stand up against tyranny, you will be scratched. That is the Pana. Any kind of tyranny. Could be political, yep. could be social, could be religious, any. But if you fail in that or succeed in that, if you succeed in that, right, Vahigru gets all the credit because at the end of the day, you have actually emulated Vahigru's virtues of fearlessness to stand up for yourself and for others. On the other hand, if you fail and you're a coward, well, really, how is that Vahigru's fault? Or if someone in your family dies at the end of the day and you can't take it, how's that Vaigru's fault? I have the answer, but uh, I'll just stay silent for the time being. Okay, 
Let's move on to the second one. Now, this is going to hit the Lunger Brigade really hard. I forewarn you, this is going to hit the Lunger Brigade really hard. Comprehend that your leadership emanates from Siki and Siki alone. Hmm. Right? Mm. Please explain. Okay, <clears throat> so take it this way. The Voik version of history is that Nawab Kapoor Singh was Nawab for everyone, right? However, you will be interested to know that Nawab Kapoor Singh never allowed any non-Sikhs to vote in Pantic affairs. Oh, so he was intolerant then, yeah? <laughs> I would say he was very wise. See, the essence of Sikh leadership, the essence of being a Khalsa leader emanates from Sikhi. You aren't getting it from the non-Sikh crowd. So Sikhi should be your primary concern in each and every action, every decision you take as a Sikh leader, rather than the whims, wants, and desires of non-Sikhs. So you are telling me that loyalty cannot be traded Loyalty cannot be traded. And here's the thing. <clears throat> if non-Sikhs used to have an issue during the missile era, they were free to present it to the Missildars and the Sardars and the Jatedars. And if that issue integrated with the overall Sikh population, that, well, maybe there's a shortage of food, there's a shortage of water, we are being harassed, etc., etc. You know, the Sarbat Khalsa would look towards rectifying it but if it was an issue like this, that, well, we want, you know, such a quota, such percent of quota, such percentage jobs, we want to be given slack because of our caste, because of our faith, or we want to be given slack because we don't have opportunities, or if you give us, you know, equality of opportunity, well, we don't want that, we want total equality of outcome. You know, what the response used to be from the Khalsa? Tell me. Get stuffed. With food, you mean? To the people making those demands. Now, under Baba Banda Singh, Arvin writes this. He recounts all these sources that a low-caste Chandal only had to convert to Sikhi, take Amrit, become a Khalsa. And when he used to go to his village, all the Brahmins, landlords, and higher castes of the village used to be waiting for him with their hands joined. They used to serve him food. They used to wash his feet and drink the water off their feet. Like, it's a way of saying that that's how much respect they showed to him. Now, if those people turned around and later said that <clears throat> we want our religion, our religious rights to be respected, that means even if the Chandal is a Khalsa, we won't bow down to him. And it wasn't an issue of bowing as more as it was of respecting them as a human. We won't do that because it's affecting our religious rights. We believe in caste or a Muslim, that we believe in Sharia. Where we are in a majority, we can't concede ground to non-Muslims. You know, the Khalsa would say, get stuffed. Hmm. Makes sense. Makes but for people who have absolutely no knowledge of statecraft, this is going to be really offensive. It, it will be really offensive. It will be 101% offensive. You know, Ratan Singh Panga recounts several incidents down here when the Khalsa <clears throat> was approached by a Brahmin whose wife was taken away. She was continually gang raped. The Khalsa went and liberated her. Hari Singh Pangi came along and the Brahmin said she's a sinner. And Hari Singh Pangi went and told him that, you know, if you value your life and your family's lives and your religious lives, your caste's lives, you will take this woman back. We will pay you in gold to set up a new life or otherwise stuff you, this woman will come with us. She will be given money. She will be given full free rights to live as a man would and do whatever she wants. And there was another incident as well, Baba Darbara Singh Akali, who was, uh, you know, <clears throat> Nawab Kapoor Singh's mentor. Baba Darbara Singh raided a Mughal Hindu in uh, campment and liberated several hundred low-caste girls. And he took them back to their homes. And the Brahmins came along and they said, oh, no, 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 no. These women have sullied the name of the village, you know, vic victim shaming. And 
Baba Darbara Singh said, so what's your cure? And the Brahmin said, oh, well, if they're pure, they have to jump through this, you know, little pit in which we have flames. They actually have to go through the flames. And Baba Darbara Singh said, okay, light that up. I want to test how pure your Brahmin blood is. Let's see if you get roasted to ashes, you aren't pure enough to test them. If you don't, you can test these girls. The Brahmins <laughs> left and never were seen again. <laughs> now, if we have the lot today, they would say, oh, well, you know, Sikhi is full of compassion. Sikhi is woke. Sikhi is liberal. Please sit down and have some longer and then we will decide what to do. So in the past, there was no concession on Sikh values, right? No, nope. Right. Rule number three, hone your merit as you are selected as a leader and not elected. Hmm. We did an episode on this one. Yep. Now, what was Noab Kapoor Singh's merit? Noab Kapoor Singh's merit was that he was a warm personality, able to weld together disparate factions into one whole, and he was able to create optimal systems which performed quite well and performed rapidly well under stress. So we have the Buddha Dal, Tarnadal system, we have the missiles, etc., etc. After him comes Baba Jasa Singhaluwalya. Now, of course, Baba Jasa Singhaluwalya wasn't such a great visionary, but then what was his merit? His merit was a astute grasp of military strategy, ability to discern strategic and tactical differences while utilizing the best strategy, the best tactics to lead the path to victory in confrontations with the Afghans, Mughals, and Hindus. That was his merit. Now, both of them in their own times find their merit. And this merit was what got them selected as per the exigencies which the Panth faced. So, you know, rather than trying to emulate someone else or rather than trying to be like someone else, they just focused on the qualities which got them selected. So this merit outlasted them. Hmm. Now, rather than trying to become what people wanted them to become, they stuck to their own individuality because, after all, it was the virtue of that individuality which got them selected in the first place. So not a popularity contest. Not a popularity contest. Nothing like that at all. Now, number four. <clears throat> Centralize and establish parameters of authority. Hmm. Centralized, not decentralized. Yeah, so essentially a pecking order. Now, Father Vendel, who was actually a missionary... He witnessed the Khalsa missiles under Baba Jasa Singhaluwalya. And, you know, Vendel was quite taken with their success, even though he was a missionary. He was quite absorbed in how the missiles pretty much ran helter-skelter over all these foes, despite seeming to have no practical military training or, you know, as much uh, efficiency as any other <clears throat> army at the time. And by efficiency, what I mean is in terms of equipment and the quality of the veterans. However, we have to understand that even at the time, Europe didn't really uh, adopt the guerrilla fighter policy. So, of course, these things were unique to Vendel. However, Vendel noticed something which was that, you know, the missiles would be the end of themselves because there were too many leaders among the missiles, too many equals. You know, leadership consists of having people who will listen to you. So there is a pecking order. There is a hierarchy. There are parameters as to who you listen to, who you speak to who does the final thing and who does that thing etc etc so really what we have is under baba bandasing we had the punch Sikhs, and then we had the rest of the khalsa hierarchy you know military commanders etc and you have nuab kapoor singh and with nuab kapoor singh you know under him you had 10 other jathedars and then you know obviously he made the khalsa metal uh, missiles so you know you had a pecking order down here that this person's say this person's word is the final resolution on the issue Hmm. So would you say that the structure was rigid? In some terms, the structure has to be rigid. See, see, when we say that the Khalsa Panth is a Panth of equality, 
bunt of equality, the way of equality is the fact that we don't discriminate based on birth. We discriminate based on the beliefs which inform your actions and your actions themselves. Now, <clears throat> every human setup requires a hierarchy. It does, yeah. It does. Even Guru Amar Das, he made the Manji system. The Manji system had a hierarchy directly reporting to him. Guru Gobind Singh Ji takes Samrat from the Panjapyare. Even then there's a hierarchy where, you know, Khalsa is reporting to Guru Gobind Singh Ji, even though he's one of them. So among the Khalsa, as we said, you're selected for your merit. That merit has to outweigh the concerns of everyone else. Because of that merit, you're a leader. And if you're a leader, you need to be listened to. While at the same time, your decision has to be the final decision on the matter. Yeah, of course, yeah. So, as I said, pecking orders are necessary, and we can discuss this in detail later. Let's move on to the other one. Number five, uphold principles, not personalities. Hmm, interesting. So, you know, Sardar Kapoor Singh actually mentions this in one of his articles, that, you know, today Sikh leaders are infected with this bug. And you see it in the Gurdwara system all the time that, you know, if I do this, Mr. ABC will be disappointed, but then Mrs. XYZ will be happy, but I can't lose Mr. ABC, but then I also can't lose Mrs. XYZ. Their feelings will be hurt. They will need safe spaces to go and, you know, cry into. Okay, I made up the safe spaces, but anyhow, <laughs> you know, we are upholding personalities down here and not the principles. So you're telling me that uh, I'm, I'm not supposed to worship my Babaji, but the teachings of Gurbani. 101%. Now, if people are going to get disappointed, people aren't going to get their way. Hey, look, it's a part of life. Sardar Gurbak Singh, during, during the Vadaka Lukara, hear me out, Sardar Gurbak Singh went to Baba Jassa Singhaluwali and he said, well, look, Jatidharji, too many of them, you retreat and we will break and make a run for it. The people who get killed get killed. The people who survive, survive. And, you know, there were several others with him as well who were recommending that, you know, a retreat be ordered and Baba Jassa Singh turned around and told them, hell no. They had to live with it. He didn't, you know, consider the fact that Gurbak Singh is my adopted son. He might get angry or so and so have been with me for so long. They might get angry. He decided, well, look, here's a principle. The principle is we need to ensure no person left behind on the battlefield if he can help it. We can help it, so we are not going to concede anything to the enemy. If I can save a single life, I will save a single life. Feelings be damned. Hmm. We need to learn to say no. See, <clears throat> this is something I argued in a recent article on the Synchronization Substack. The greatest virtue is accepting death because when you accept death and you say yes, the yes has weight behind it because, well, you know, ultimately you will die to prove your yes. By that coin, if you say no, your no has the reinforcement of strength that you can kill me, but it's still going to be a no. Hmm. Right? So that comes from a place of upholding Sikh principles rather than upholding Sikh personalities. I mean, hey, if I was to uphold personalities, I mean, yeah, sure, we will be getting into a lot of trouble down here, and that's what's happening today in the Pant. Jatidarji can't piss off the MLAG, MLAG can't piss off the Mantriji, Mantriji can't piss off the Babaji, and Babaji, of course, can't piss off the people who listen to his shit. <laughs> It's all this of what will they think getting us killed. Ogi-gogi. Anyway, moving on. Number six. Always show, not tell. Always show, not tell. Right. So, psychologically speaking, humans are geared to be showing. If something is showing to us, it's more ingrained, more embedded in our brains. There is an image stamped on our brains of the consequences of the ultimate yield rather than if we are told. So, for example, here's a thing. If you tell a child 
you're not supposed to go into the woods. You prohibit them from going into the woods. You're essentially telling them, do not go into the dark space. What's the child going to do? Probably going to be curious about it. Yep, and go right into it. You grab the child by the hand and take them along and show them, well, look, this is why you can't go into the woods. The child's going to understand the consequences. That's how these Islamist grooming gangs operate, you know, in the UK. Basically, go up to a Sikh. You'll all heard your religion forbids this, religion forbids that. Sikhi is full of shit, blah, 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 blah. And they'll be like, yeah, 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 Sikhi forbids Sisha. And they'll be like, oh, but, you know, try it, try it. And the girls will be like, well, yeah, well, my parents told me it prohibits that, but I haven't been showing why Sikhi forbids, you know, prohibits all these intoxicants. And next thing you know, they're getting raped by those Sulli. And the entire family. And the entire family. Well, the entire clan, entire village, entire city. Pretty much. Anyhow, so the thing is, show, not tell. Effective leaders wait, 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 show wait, wait. and don't tell. So if God had told Eve the reason not to eat the apple or whatever fruit that was, the world history would have been very different. If God had shown Eve why not to eat that fruit, our history would have been different. That's not to say Sikhs believe in it, but we're just taking this from a colloquial perspective. We'll be living in heaven, mate. <laughs> yeah, maybe we would have been wandering around naked because there was this outcry on Twitter recently. There was a Sikh account, a Sikh girl. And she said, I saw this other girl at the Gurdwara with a very, uh, you know, quite skimpy, you know, skimpy outfit, you know, showing off her sexual assets, right? And this other mm -hmm. woman, Ruby Core is her name, suddenly comes in, oh, you're stuck in the colonial lens mentality. So, you know, I asked Ruby Cora a question, which she still has to answer. As of now, she hasn't. I asked her, so if, you know, criticizing someone for their clothes is colonial and you're saying that, you know, clothes themselves are a colonial construct, did we used to go naked to the Gurdwaras back in the day? Can you wear a bikini to your university graduation? See, look, I'm going to say it out right down here. Feminists are pushing this line too strongly, but it's going to come back to bite them. If you're saying men are treating us like sexual objects, well, then you've got to stop sexualizing yourself. It's a two-way street. Same for men. Stop showing your ass cracks at the Gurdwara. Pull up your pants. Bloody hell. <laughs> okay, moving on to number does seven. That individual, does this individual who claims that, uh, who uses the word colonization or blah, 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 does this individual lives in a country that used to have a colonial empire? He lives in a Western country which had a colonial empire. Ah, so no hypocrisy. Zero hypocrisy. If you can't see it, <laughs> it shouldn't affect you sort of thing going on. Okay. Right. Now, number seven. This is going to be way more brutal than the last few points I had. Remember Price's law, minority always leads the majority. Mm, okay, let's see the examples of today. Minority always leads the majority. Look, how many Americans are going to get voted to become the president of the states in their lifetime? Mm, man, so far, I think uh, Biden is currently the 46th. Yes, I know that uh, Senior Bush was the 14th, which made Reagan the 39th, if I'm correct, which made Clinton the 41st, even though he was a waste of time. That's one example. On the other hand, if we were to resurrect the Pristine Khalsa system of initiating Sikhs into the Khalsa after a very rigid test of loyalty, how many do you think will become full number 30s. I'd say, mate. For me personally, the, the way I see it, it's it's twisted. Back in those days, I think you took Amrit after becoming a Sikh, and today it's like you take Amrit and become a Sikh afterwards. So essentially what the main fundamental point I'm trying to make down here is that 
the minority will always leave the majority. We have maybe, what, 20 to 50 authors who write our best-selling books every year? Uh, yeah, I agree with that, yeah. Barely devil figures. We have maybe 10 to 12 musicians. Just How many politicians lead the masses? So ultimately, in this rat race, only a few will succeed. The ones with the most discipline, the most loyalty, the most dedication. The ones who stick to their guns, essentially. Now, it might be easy to say this, but in the long run, not all humans have this tendency to succeed. Not even in the short run. Uh, you just need to Google how many businesses or startups fail. Yep, that's right. So always remember process low, the minority will lead the majority. And ultimately, the Sikhs need to keep on increasing their population. Yes, but you know they shouldn't get too hung up on the minority-majority thing as long as they have political and social power in their hands. Hmm. And with us, it's always been a minority leading the majority. I mean, during Nwab Kapoor Singh's era, Baba Banda Singh's era, even during the Guru's eras and after, we were never such a majority but we were always the ruling class. Right, moving on. Number eight, understand human nature. So Hobbes or Rousseau? Beyond Hobbes and Rousseau. Now, this is the most critical one you can have in any arsenal of leadership tips. Always Always study human nature and try understanding it. Yeah, but well, that's that's. I, I think that's not not just leadership. Every single human human being should learn about these things. Yes. Now this is too big to get into, so we will have another special episode dedicated to this. Who knows? We might invite a guest. But if you want to be an effective leader, like Maharaja Ranjit Singh, you know irrespective of his posts or Nwab Kapoor Singh, Baba Banda Singh. If you want to be an effective Sikh leader, essentially, you need to understand human nature. Is this person going to betray me because I am not offering them enough? Can I offer this person my trust? Etc. Etc. You know, one of the key reasons why Mossad is so successful is that their handlers, the people who recruit, uh, you know, overseas-based, uh, you can really say scum of the society types to carry out all these, you know, assassinations, is because they are fully conversant with human nature. Man, that's a very interesting topic. And as, as you said, it deserves a, an episode of its own. So, yeah. So, number nine, centralize command, decentralize execution. Decentralize execution. Right, so I will give you two examples of this. Guru Gobind Singh Ji. Well, actually, let's move on to a more relevant example, Baba Banda Singh. You know, especially around the 1714 period, we have Jagat Singh attack the fortress of Kiri Patan. When Binod Singh betrayed him, and ultimately, before he got you know caught, before he was cornered, the Sikhs split up into these different bands. Basically, centralized the command was centralized in that that they relied on baba banda singh but the execution of the command was decentralized so really baba banda singh would set the strategy from jammu and kashmir and the sikh band still fighting in the punjab would form their own tactics based on their own initiative to execute that command hmm. right example one Example number two is Nelson at Trafalgar. You know when Nelson got killed, when he got shot and killed aboard his ship, those famous last words that, you know, uh, no captain can do wrong if they draw their ship besides the enemy. I'm just paraphrasing down here. What he really meant was that I have made the full decision. You know, the command is centralized. As your commander, I've given you your mission. How you succeed in achieving that mission, how you execute my directives is based on your own initiative. That's also contingent upon the fact that uh, you need to, let's say, have responsible commanders. 
exactly exactly you need to have responsible you know commanders so really what it is at the end of the day is you need to ensure that your you know leaders encourage a sense of possibility and responsibility <clears throat> so you hand them hand them a task this is what you need to do but that commander needs to utilize their own resources their own mind and, and their own strategies to in order to let's say fulfill the task well, that's why you need to, you know, make those commanders conversant with the mission, but also give them a technical mastery, a technical know-how of what it is that they're about to do so they can better appreciate how to get it done effectively and with great quality in the long run. Hmm. Right. Moving on. Number 10. Provide empowerment. Do not breed entitlement. <laughs> Mate. In, in the era of a welfare state, you're talking some dangerous points. <laughs> well, I mean, at the end of the day, okay, let's move on. Let's move on. We've we've just said what we want to down here, and I think it will be clarified in the next few points we get. So, number 11, take lessons from the past, but do not try to live the past when not necessary. Well, people love to live in the past. That's nostalgia. Things were better back then. Things were better back then, but here's the thing. See, Marathas come up to the Dalkas and they say, help us fight Abdali in a pitched battle. And the Sikhs are like, get stuffed. He's going to destroy you like he has in the past, like he's uh, destroyed many armies which tried confronting him in a pitched battle. What ultimately happens at Panipat? The Marathas get their rear ends packed and handed to them by Abdali. The same thing that could be said about uh, the Pakistani commanders who said that, you uh, know, Back in the days, we used to rule these people. Like, like one Muslim soldier, Pakistani soldier, equal to like ten Hindu soldiers, Indian soldiers. Yep. And then nearly a hundred thousand of them surrendered. <laughs> and you see it in the lessons which the USA failed to learn from Vietnam, particularly regarding counterinsurgency. Now that we did talk about Petraeus, ultimately moving on from that point, number twelve. Hold yourself and your subordinates to a higher standard of achievement than the rest of the masses. Hmm. See, I love it when people say, oh, but the leader is human. They can make critical mistakes. Well, no, they can't make critical mistakes because to be a leader, you need to be a step up. You need to be on a par. You need to be on a notch higher than your normal Tom, Dick and Harry. Well, okay, let's make it seek friendly. You need to be more higher, you know, more intellectually higher more competent than Sukhvinder, Gurvinder, and Delvinder. <laughs> so, you know, for you to make mistakes, if it happens, it happens. But really, if it later comes out that you didn't hold yourself to a higher standard, well, then you're stuffed. You're exactly like Nixon, who cut off his own two feet. He nixed them. <laughs> he nixed them. So... Always hold yourself and your subordinates to a higher standard than the masses. I mean, if the masses knew shit, they would be ruling, you know, themselves. They wouldn't be choosing you to lead them. They would be leading themselves. But obviously, they do not have the capability. So why are you lowering yourself to their level? It doesn't make it right if they say, oh, we forgive you. It just makes you seem more shit in the long run. Right. Moving on. Number 13. If you surrender, surrender tactically. Hmm. The French surrendered, but they were able to save themselves and the country from total destruction in the Second World War. Could be out. Yeah, well, I mean, apologies to our French listeners. The French seem to have a PhD in that sort of stuff. Well, they eat too much cheese, so I could say. How many republics did they have? I shouldn't say that because we Sikhs might be the same one day. Anyhow, oh, well, currently on the first one. Well, let me give you an example here of this point. One single example. By Tarasing one and several hundred others surrendered tactically, and when Zakaria started paying them these pensions, they started acting like they were, you know, loyalists of the state, except in secret they were training a whole army of Sikhs with the money Zakaria gave them. As I said, loyalties can't be traded. He tried to buy the loyalty with money and pensions. Yep. 
and they use the same money intentions to slap him in the face. That's another skill to have on the sidelines if you're listening to this, to slap a man without him realizing you have slapped him. (laughs) Did you learn this rule in the Gurdwara? (laughs) Well, yes, unfortunately. Gurdwara politics, I must say. Apologies. Yep, right. So, number 14. When necessary, pardon a foe. Hmm. Right. A forgiven foe is more likely to be loyal to you than a friend you have helped who believes you're just being patronizing. It happens. It happens in history. That happens quite a lot. Could you say that a forgiven foe, let's say, is more likely to be on your side than a friend who's entitled? Exactly. Now, Guru Gobind Singhji forgave Said Khan. Right? Mm-hmm. Said Khan died fighting for the Guru. Maharaja Ranjit Singh forgave the Chattas and, you know, enrolled them within his Sikh units. I believe over 12 members of the Chatta clan, whose forebear was killed by Ranjit Singh and his father, they died fighting in the Anglo Sikh wars against the British. Protecting are quite Sikh a few... infantry. Yep, there were quite a few Chakta uh, villages uh, in the Waba region that were resettled from the western part of Punjab. Yep, so most of them died like that. <clears throat> now, Mahasingh and the Kanaya missile, he basically forgave them and decided to marry Ranjit Singh to Sadakor and Gurbak Singh's daughter. That's another thing that things became different, but at that time there was enough loyalty from the Kanayas to Mahasingh's side that he was able to expand his domains in the Punjab. A forgiven foe will always try proving their loyalty to you. So ultimately, that's that point. Moving on from there, number 15, stir water to catch a fish. Hmm. I'm trying really hard not to crack a joke, but I'll wait for you to explain this. Okay, so what I mean by this is that you set up a lure to catch anyone who comes into the lure, pretty much. <clears throat> and you can see that this was the ambush tactic which many Sikhs used. You know, like they used it more efficiently against Adina Beg than others. They would set up these little baits for him. He would grab the bait, and next thing you know, the Sikhs would be all over him, giving him a shoe beating. This is this is a skill which is more military related. So, I mean, for all the military guys listening to us, you will understand. Anyhow, moving on, number sixteen. Do not wholly trust your allies. No, 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 no. I mean, common sense enough should be able to see the reality behind it. If you can't, then there's something wrong with you. Number 17, cultivate an air of unpredictability. If you're predictable, you can be defeated. Yep, the Gurus always had an ear of unpredictability. The post-Guru era Sikh leaders always had an ear of unpredictability. They were very hard to maneuver or trap or pin down. Ultimately, we can't say that about the leaders in the past three decades. Going on to number 18, make others come to you. I think that's the product of the qualities people will be attracted to you. Well, really, the thing is you set up baits and let others come to you. After Zakaria Khan and Mir Manu, many of their commanders who were hunting Sikhs actually came to the Sikhs for help, right? And the Sikhs were able to take them out and destroy them. Really, this make the others come to you point uh, also involves being able to predict your enemies' actions and reactions. Talleyrand did this with uh, Napoleon when he actually uh, arranged his escape from a nearby island in France. And what happened was that Napoleon escaped, and as Talleyrand had predicted, what would happen is Napoleon would come back to France. He would be unable to handle the economic situation because Talleyrand had already gotten rid of his ministers. Ultimately, Napoleon would declare war on Europe again, and the European powers would come and smash his army to pieces because they had no morale, no spirit to confront the Europeans because the situation back home was so grim that people were starving. Ultimately, why did Talleyrand arrange this escape? Because he knew that Napoleon would be a symbol of resistance and imprisonment 
But if he was to escape, come back, fight a war, lose and fail in people's eyes, the very people who would see him as a living martyr would see him as a living joke. And ultimately, yep, it would be a psychological blow and no one would need to worry about Napoleon inspiring or instigating any rebellions in the future. So this was more than 200 years ago, yeah? This was more than 200 years ago. So what Talleyrand did was he made Europe come to him for advice. And he told him, well, I told you so. You have to, you know, do this. You have to imprison him in St. Helena's all the way on the other side of the world. Really, when he gave them this advice before, they didn't listen to him. So he decided to arrange an escape. Really, he killed, I guess, 10 birds with one stone. So this was 200 years ago. Can we as Sikhs understand what strategies are being employed today we have a brain we can that's a superpower right number 19 be bold in your actions don't be timid don't be indecisive once you're you know dedicated once you've decided just go for the attack Now, number oh, 20. Pretty much myself. Yep. Now, number 20. This is more uh, intelligence and covert operations related. Use your foes against each other. Hmm. The Sikhs stood back and allowed the Afghans to annihilate the Mughals. And the Marathas and the Rajputs. Makes sense. Yep. Number 21. Now, remember, all leaderships must end. Must end. What do you mean by that? Well, I mean, at the end of the day, you're really going to be, you know, maybe you will be voted out by the individuals who selected you. Maybe you will die. It's good to remember that at the end of the day, this should be empowering you that you're going to die. And if you accept your death, you will always use that fact to fuel you to achieve something great as a leader, but that ultimately you must remember that when it's curtains down on your leadership career, it is curtains down. It's time to step down. Lab Kapoor Singh stepped down while he was still alive. Okay, you have preempted me. I was actually going to ask you about this. Okay, go on. Guru Hargobind Sahibji stepped down while he was still alive. Guru Nanak stepped down while he was still alive. So yeah, you need to remember all leaderships must end. Now, moving on. Number 22, leave the Panth stronger than when you first inherited its leadership. Mm, yep, pretty much self-explanatory. Yep, makes it's, sense if it doesn't. Yes, the, the same goes for if you are a farmer or something. You leave the land better than you, than you found it. You don't deteriorate it. Yep, and I mean, if you can't understand this, then there's something wrong with you. Moving on from there, number 23, do not miss your nickname. Don't. Yep, it's a sign of discipline. You can get up and do your daily nickname. Yeah, you can do anything else. Personal sign of discipline. Number 24, pursue perfection and leave a higher standard for the next generation. For the next generation. Right, hmm. moving on. 25. Do not aim or pay pray for the trivial. Simple words is to understand. Yep, self-explanatory. Moving on. Number 26. Weaponize your words. Either strike through them or inspire through them. Never bore through them. So I'm not supposed to be too politically correct and give you sweet words. No, 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 no. Nothing like that. Like we discussed the de Gaulle issue in one of the previous episodes, how he misled all the Algerians. That's exactly what you need to do. So weaponize your words. Understand the power of words. Right. Number 27. Do not rely on hope as a tactical strategy. <laughs> I can't go charge blindly into the battle and expect your hope to win. <laughs> That's not going to happen. 
Hell no. Now, moving on. Strike the commander to scatter the command. Mm, yep. Take out the main players to take care of the greater players. Right, moving on. 29. Avoid the unfortunate. Oh, avoid the unfortunate. Yep, the constantly unfortunate are those who bring it upon themselves. So if you know someone like that, avoid them because they will drag you down as well. Number 30. Discover everyone's weaknesses. So you expect me to have a file on everybody. That That's basic politics. Self-explanatory. Moving on, number 31, enter the spirit of others. And what I mean by this is that, you know, Suharto, the Indonesian dictator? Uh, the anti-communist? Yeah. So he brought over a journalist from America. Americans hated him. And he actually saw this journalist was a woman. And he started dyeing his hair like her, wearing the clothes she told him to. Ultimately, it came to the point where she actually thought he was in love with her. And she started, you know, screaming at him, shouting at him. And he did everything she wanted him to while she was writing his biography. Ultimately, when she left, Sohato went back to his old ways and they asked him, well, you know, what was the point of all that? And he said, I entered her spirit. I convinced her that I was listening to her. And that affected the way she saw me. And now look at the biography she wrote about me. Poor Sohato always being bullied by the Americans when he's just a sweet child, even though I'm a rabid dictator who will murder you. <laughs> right. I think it's the same guy that uh, the, the KGB had a video on him and he requested a, a, an HD tape of it and then they <laughs> decided to go ahead with it yep. so you know that's called in, uh, entering the spirit now moving on 32 yes create need and anxiety Make sure you're the center of attention. Make sure you're so effective people need you and they become anxious without you. Can I do it with my social media posts and tweets? Well, I mean, speaking about maildom today, if you're like a scantily clad lady, yeah, why not? As we discussed one earlier. Yep, now, moving on. Number 33, hold up a mirror to others. You know, ape their behavior, mimic their behavior to make your point, you know, that this is how you're stuffing up. I don't like this or I like this, etc., etc. I mean, this is pretty elementary and self-explanatory, but yeah, because we Sikhs can't produce our leaders, well, we need to reiterate these points. Number 34, do not judge yourself against others, but establish your own precedents. Hmm. <clears throat> Yep. Right. Number 35. Do not let your emotions betray you. This is pretty elementary as well. Number 36. Master yourself and then master others. So if you're a master of yourself, a master of your own nature, you can always, you know, see similarities in others and master those elements of them to allow you to master them. Number 37. Pursue what is purpose, purposeful and not what is expedient. Hmm. Number purposeful. 38. Okay, here's okay. a good example. Here, here, here's a good example. Moab Kapoor Singh pursued how to you know, protect the punt rather than how to build more Gurdwaras. <laughs> it did. Yep. Number 38. Encourage your successors to outdo you. Hmm. Yeah, Num of course. Yeah. Yep. Number 39. While extending a hand in friendship, keep a dagger concealed behind your back just in case another's hand is a poisonous trap. So no blind trust. No blind trust. Number 40. In conflict and life, pursue the unconventional way to victory. So unpredictability. Unpredictability. Think how it can be done better and result forever. Number 41. Trust only when necessary, not with the entire plan. 
Oh, yeah, of course, yeah, of course. How Number much do you really need to know? Well, yeah, good point. Number 42. Accept the necessity of hardship. Understand pleasure to be ephemeral. So you're supposed to spend more time on the saddle of your horse than in your bed. Well, I mean, really, if you're a leader and you break down because some hardships come along, I mean, hell, you're worse than Joe Biden, and that's saying something. <laughs> Apologies to Mr. Biden. Oh, he wouldn't remember this. He can't hear. He will probably fall asleep. Or he's delayed. Well, anyhow. Yep, moving Listen on. on. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I mean, next thing you know, the CIA breaks through my windows. Like, you're under arrest for insulting the president. <laughs> so which one? <laughs> Shit, is this still the Trump presidency? Nah. <laughs> It's, it's okay. It's okay, guys. We got Jacinda Zaria worse in a way. <laughs> Number 43. Leadership is not entirely about compassion, but doing what is necessary. Now, this was the elder Bush. This was a lesson which he taught the world. It's not always about compassion because you can't have compassion when necessity calls. Okay. Would that be the difference between uh, justice-based morality and care-based morality? Yes, in a way. Now, if, if I give an example now before moving on, Guru Gobind Singh Ji, the day he departed Nandapur, the night he departed Nandapur, he looked behind him. So many people shivering in the cold. He really thinks such a pacha had compassion in his heart and he would have gotten off his horse and given them a kambali and told them, here, sit down, sit down. Have some dog. It's okay, it's okay. Nothing's going to happen. No, Bacha was like, come on, we need to move forward. Yep, good example. Yep, number 44. Do not virtue signal or rely upon the masses. The masses are blind and are easily misled. <laughs> Man. Okay. You, you can clearly see that in a total democracy, I'll be the first one to get hanged. They will. They wouldn't even exile you. <laughs> they will execute you. <laughs> and me. Number, yeah, number forty-five. Remember your impending death in everything you do. Hmm. Sure. Number forty-six. Follow up your words with actions. No empty words. Yep. Number forty-seven. Make it seem as if your works are seamless. That is a thoughtless. You are not taking any effort to do, do them. Oh, sorry, say that again, please. Make it seem as if your works are seamless. That is effortless. Hmm. Okay. Of course, when, yeah, of course, when you get to that stage of leadership, you'll understand what I mean. This is to the readers. Now, 48. Thanks to Stanley McChrystal for this. Navigate from where you are and not from where you wish you were. Be grounded in reality. Yes. Number 49. Make the panth your foremost priority. Number 50. <laughs> Don't be that which you will ridicule or deride. Yeah, makes sense. 51. Be a master of timing. Know what to do, the right thing at the right place. Yes, like the longer logistics crew. Mm -hmm. Number 52. At the end, leadership is about effectiveness. If you fail to deliver the results, you'll be pushed out. Yes. Number 53. Do not let your enemy define the battlefield. Ah, uh, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. What I was going to happen, it's going to happen on my terms. The terms favorable to me. Yes. Now, coming to the last one, number 54. 
aim to win the strategic war as a leader and leave the tactical war to your subordinate? That's a heavy one. Now, the thing is, these 54, as I said, are not exhaustive. And what I like the listeners to do, or what we would like the listeners to do, and our readers, is that, you know, when you interact with us on Twitter or Substack or even on Anchor, send us the points you think are crucial for future Khalsa Panth leaders. A tactical commander and a strategic commander. The difference between these two. Man, that's a great point. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. And that's something I picked up from all the military books I read. Now, obviously, we will have to end this soon because as it is, I'm hungry and the chicken is cooking. <laughs> I apologize for that. Oh, blasphemy. Uh, pardon? You're, you're a meat eater. Yeah, 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 man. Babaji is going to come and give me a few dunks up the butt tonight. Anyway, no. I, killed, I, I killed a chicken last year and I'm having the chicken this year. So, you know, it's like time travel. Anyhow, You're never ever going to have the oranges from heaven. <laughs> You're missing out. Yeah, I'll, I'll get the bakra from heaven. I'll probably get the venison. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Anyway, thank you for listening to us. Hey, remember, if you got the points, send them to, in, in to us on Twitter, Substack or Anchor. As always, Happy New Year, and we will be kicking more butt again. Waheguruji ka khalsa. Waheguruji ki fateh.